It's like a, a soft hush settled in on the children as they left this morning. What happened? They sedated? <laughs> Tired? <laughs> uh, it's the summer heat. Uh, well, this morning, if you would open up your word to Ephesians chapter 4. We have been, in the month of May, injecting a little series on the church and just always, I think, necessarily needing to seek biblical highlights on this thing called the church. And we did that out of coming out of the end of John's gospel where Jesus has gone to the cross. He is preparing to ascend and he meets with Peter and restores Peter in that amazing story of Peter's restoration to a role in his life that was in the realm of what was most significant in the heart of Christ at that time. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Well, here's what's on my mind, Peter. Here's what I'm thinking about right now. Here's what's mattering to me immensely. Shepherd my sheep. And there's a revelation in the heart of God as to, to how the people of God sit in the heart of God. This intense passion for the Savior to care about his sheep, their condition, and their purpose. Because there's a revelation that the church is here on earth manifesting the life of God. And so the, the glory of God continues to be seen on earth. Though Jesus is going to heaven, the, the glory of God continues to be seen on the earth through the church. And a vast amount, I cannot say the only thing, but a vast amount of God's purposes to affect anybody else on planet earth is bound up in his church. So therefore, it matters immensely to God. What's the church like? How are we doing? What's the health of the church? What's our vision of the church? It's as though this thirst, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's this thirst in the human heart for the righteousness that comes from God. And it's as though the cross has been accomplished as Jesus is talking to Peter. And this, this living water is now made available to humanity. But, you know, in God, there's a means through which you receive this living water. It's like in the pipes in the house flow this living water. But don't you thank God that there's faucets and there's spigots where you can access the living water? Well, that's what the church is. It's the spigot. It's the access point where you and I access the experiencing of the grace of God. Whether it was one day when we were lost in the world and we were dying of thirst and through the church, now listen carefully, maybe not through a building where a bunch of people were, but the person who shared Christ with you was the church. That's who he was. He was one of the sheep that Jesus had a passion that he'd be cared for and that there'd be health and life in, in him in such a way that one day he would turn the spigot on and the grace of God in him would flow out of him into your life and you'd come to know Christ. And so the church dispenses grace. And so it's very important that the church would be healthy and functioning. So I called this morning's message, Your Calling and the Church. Your, your, your calling 
and the church. How does God impart to you the sense of calling for your life? Let me, let me introduce this under the thought of discovering your calling takes an intrusion. Right? For you to discover your calling takes an intrusion. Now, most of us here, even, even if you weren't saved, you can remember praying the Our Father. Right? I prayed the Our Father a lot. I was clueless. Didn't really know God. I was a little bit religious and, and a lot corrupt. Uh, but I, I, I would pray. I mean, didn't most of you pray when you got in trouble? You know, I was... I was vandalizing things and on the verge of being caught, and then my prayer life would kick in greatly. It's like, man, I'm drawing near to God. Fragrance aromas of incense are going up before the throne. Uh, But we're praying this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then, whether you realize it or not, you're, you're praying then for an intrusion. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Now, when you pray that, that's not a tame prayer. Because what you're praying is, God, you are for real, and you have desires, and you want something in this world. And I'm asking you to let it come. God, you know, come has the implication that it's not here right now. So there is this sense that when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're praying for an intrusion. We're praying for God to intrude. We're, we're saying, God, come. Don't leave things the way they are. Come. Lord, d- don't let the earth be one way and heaven be another. God, match these things up. Make us like that. We want your will to come in our lives. So there's this intrusion dynamic that God comes, and he comes with this calling. I want to look at this verse here in Ephesians chapter 4. We've kind of been drawing from Ephesians 2 and 3 and 4 as we walk through some of this series. I just want to look at this one verse primarily today. The Apostle Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the, the next several verses are going to sort of delineate the dynamic of the manner of our walk. What's the manner of our life going to look like? But there's, a, there's sort of a control valve on that manner. And that's established by this word calling. Walk is related to calling. You, you've received a calling. And it's that calling now that speaks about the life that I'm going to live. Right? Does that make sense? All right, now, everybody here is curious about calling. We, we wrestle our way through life trying to figure out, what am, I, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to aim at? You know, I've got kids that are coming up into the older teen years, and you know, so thrust before them, you know, you're sort of on autopilot when you're a kid. You say, well, I'm just supposed to be a kid. You know, I'm, I'm just supposed to hang around, family, friends, eat, play, find stuff to do. You're not thinking when you're 8, 9, 10 years old about this grand scheme of calling. But when you get towards your late teen years, you start to realize, what am I, what am I doing with my life? What, what is life about? Right now, most of us here are, are beyond those years, and so we know what it is to ask that question. We've been asking that question. We asked it when we were in college. What should I major in? Or if I didn't go to college, what, what should I do? Uh, should I get married? Should I live here? We're looking for this sense of direction in our life. We're looking for our calling, right? So what is this idea of calling? I looked online and found this article. It says, how to find your calling in life. 
Now, actually, it's got some interesting ideas in it. It's just missing a major idea, but, but some of the little suggestions aren't too bad. Here's what the author says. Everyone has a life's calling. Each person's calling is unique and distinctive and in alliance with personality traits and talents. That should scare us a little bit. Given some of our personality traits, we should be very concerned that I'm called to be this way. No. Uh, Throughout your life, your calling surfaces over and over again, sometimes in obscure ways or in areas that you have ignored. When you operate in your calling, you will have a deep sense of peace and an overwhelming feeling of personal satisfaction. And so the author then goes on and gives like 12 helpful uh, directives to discovering your call. And I'll just give you a couple. One, list your lifelong hopes and dreams. Your heart's desires and longings are important keys in identifying your calling. Two, determine the clues you've been given to help you understand your calling. Consider the things, the people, the causes, or situations that have brought you joy and satisfaction and provided personal significance and meaning to you. Three, identify the areas where you would like to see your life make a difference and for what you would like to be remembered. Four, list the memorable moments that have thus far shaped your life. And then there's another one later on. Assess your natural talent, skills, strength, and evidence of your calling. So there's a reality here that most of us believe that there's some destiny to our lives. We were meant to do something. Right? I mean, you, you're around this idea that somehow deposited in us in this, is this pre-existing wiring that is supposed to find its place, and we're supposed to be fulfilling that thing somehow in our life. Now, let me say this, because what's obviously absent from that article is if you believe that you are designed, wired for something, then that implies there must have been a designer. Right? If you believe that you're called, then that implies that there is a caller who's behind that call. Now, that article doesn't go into that at all. So if there is this fate, this destiny, this interwoven dynamic to us, where did it come from and what's it about? What's it ultimately supposed to be spent on? I was watching this program, 2020 caught my eye last week. They had a program on superhumans. Uh, these people who just do bizarre stuff. I mean, some of them just mind-blowing things that they do. Well, one of them was this guy who's a jumper. He jumps off of cliffs. He jumps out of airplanes. He jumps off of buildings. And he wears this suit. He looks like a flying squirrel. He wears this suit. And, you know, he spreads out and, and catches air and steers this thing. I mean, this guy jumped out of an airplane in this snowbound area and was skimming the mountains. You can see the... The, kind of the, the snow stuff kind of kicking up behind him as he's going through this. It was, it was pretty amazing to watch this guy. Uh, but what was interesting was to hear him explain his sense of calling. It just perked my ears, right? Here's an actual statement from him. I think it may be your outline. He says, I was about five years old, and I was watching these birds, and I was seeing them start to fly. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? When I get older, I'm going to do that. Right? Word to parents. Limit what your children look at. I never thought about telling them, hey, 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 get your eyes off that bird. But after this, I might reconsider. People told me it's not possible. And I said, maybe you can't, but I'm going to do that. The 2020 interviewer says, face jumping 
that is, free-falling from high structures like this, may have paradoxically saved Jeff's life. As a teenager, he was suicidal until he learned to jump. What has it given you, Jeff? Jeff says, oh, it's given me my life. It's given me my purpose. It gave me a reason to wake up in the morning. It, it gave me a reason to be here. See, there's this sense in all of us, like we're trying to discover, why do I exist? You know, I'm wired for something. What is it that I'm wired for? But when, when Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Does anybody think what Paul's primarily talking about is jumping from high spaces? Now, we'll say this, it might include something of that. But that would not be primary in Paul's concern. Obviously, if the, if the reason, and this guy is a prime candidate for this, if this guy jumps and never breaks his legs, I guess his life is over, right? Not just his legs are broken, but his life is over because he can't be doing any more jumping, so his reason for existing no longer exists. Well, is there a calling dimension that's greater than that? Well, here would be my definition for calling. It is the divine summons for our lives to return to their intended purpose. There is a caller. There is a design on us. We are wired a certain way. And so God is calling us to return to his intended purpose, to return to God. That needs to stand by itself, to return to God and to be the image of God's glory on the earth. You know, the moment God creates, let us make man in our image. So if you want to figure out, you go back to design, right? You go, when, when something breaks, you go back to design. How was this thing designed? Well, when man's life is broken, it's, it's primarily because it's being misused. It's aimed at the wrong thing. God said, let us make man in our image. So you and I are the image of God. So if I'm shopping for a reason as to why do I exist, what kind of hard wiring is in me that I was destined for? Well, without question, I was destined to be the image of God into his creation. And so I am called to this face-to-face -face reflection of God. That's my calling, to know him and to proclaim his glory. That's my calling. Listen to what Oz Guinness says in his book, The Call. He says, are you looking for purpose in life, for a purpose big enough to absorb every ounce of your attention, deep enough to plumb every mystery of your passions, and lasting enough to inspire you to your last breath? With so many approaches to the search for purpose, how are we ever to decide? Does it make a difference which one we choose? Don't they all come out the same in the end? Much modern thinking would end the discussion there. It really makes no difference, we're told. The answers are all the same. It's only a matter of different strokes for different folks. right? That, that's sort of the idea that, hey, you know, whatever suits you, you know, whatever you're into... You know, just, people are into different stuff, and you, know, you just got to find your calling. So it locates calling completely only in the individual, as though there isn't any infusion, any intrusion coming. This is a great question. Are you open to the possibility that there is one who created you to be who you are and calls you to be who he alone knows you can be? Can I read that again? Because that's a great question. 
Are you open to the possibility that there is one who created you to be who you are and calls you to be who he alone knows you can be? Put right below that in your outline. It takes an intrusion of God's kingdom for you to discern your purpose, your destiny, your calling. Because calling has a caller. There's no way to discern your life without it being linked to the person who is calling you and who created you in the first place. The, 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 The less intrusive the kingdom of God is in your life, the more uncertain you will be about your call. If you don't really have a relationship with God, then what the Bible describes all over Scripture and doesn't really apply because the kingdom of God hasn't come to you. It hasn't intruded into your life. But you know, you can be a Christian and have the kingdom come and, and so keep it at arm's distance that you just are filled with uncertainty. Like, I really don't know what I'm supposed to be about. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You just feel aimless in life. Well, that may indicate that the kingdom needs to intrude more. The caller needs to intrude more into your life and bring that sense of calling. Now, the passion of the shepherd and the purpose of the flock. You know, at some point, the passion and purpose of God are going to intersect over your life. It's like you get in the crosshairs of it. We're running around praying the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then we find out that the will of Christ is shepherd my sheep, care for them, lead them. And so there's this moment in which God's will comes to your life and you kind of get in the crosshairs of his passion and his purpose. And then out of that flows this Ephesians 4.1 passage. I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have received. And let me make room in this word here, because I think there is room in this word for calling in the general sense for the people of God and then calling in the specific sense to you as an individual. And this context, obviously, is this is the people of God. This is, Ephesians is a shepherding manual. And so this is a call to all the people of God to let them know God has called you. Right? We walk back into Ephesians chapter 2, we found out that we were once enemies of his, cut off from God, children of wrath as the, as the rest. But God, being rich in his mercy and his love with which he loved us, caused us to be born again. That, that born again, that's the call of God. That's God coming into your life and calling you to himself. So Paul's already taught that in Ephesians chapter 2, and he says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have been called. So there's a corporate sense, but, but in this context, there's a lot of personal sense going on here. Right Back in chapter 3, verse 2, Paul starts speaking about the sense of calling that he has in, as an individual. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Right, verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And Paul highlights that he had this unique ministry that was to go to the Gentiles. That was individual calling. 
for Paul. To function as an apostle, he goes over in, in chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's getting individual here as well as he talks about calling. And he says, you know, some were given as apostles, some as prophets, as pastors and teachers and evangelists. So there is, I think, in this dynamic, all of us should have a sense of the, a calling that is the same for all of us to God, as well as a calling that is individual for us as well. So there is a dynamic that some of that article that I mentioned earlier had some decent ideas in it. Because there are some unique wirings that you're not just wired to connect with God as the source of life for you. But you're also uniquely wired by God to, to walk out your life here upon this earth in a certain way. So I want us to draw our attention to a moment for a fellow named Timothy. All of you who have read scripture would be familiar with Timothy's story. Timothy, is, we're going to watch his calling unfold. But, but let me just ask you this before we, we look at him. How many of you guys here would be honest in this moment and say, you feel unsure about your calling? How many of you guys feel unsure? You just feel unsure about your calling. Okay? So, I mean, it's a question. We wrestle through this question. It walks with us through life. It revisits us when we thought we had answered it. Uh, so it, it does come up. Uh, how many of how many you guys feel like right now you're living the call of God that he has for you? Okay? Well, let's look here at Timothy for a moment. Turn to 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 1. Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is still considered a, a young pastor as he's being instructed by the Apostle Paul. Verse 1, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Right? And he warns as to why this is so critical at this time. Skip down to... Verse 5, as for you, in the midst of all these need for warning, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now, what, what Paul tells Timothy here, he would not have told every person, every Christian he came across, this would not be a one-size-fits-all passage. Timothy, there was a, it was a specific calling in Timothy's life as well. For him to preach the word. God had determined that's what he desired for Timothy to fulfill in his life. And so there's a sense here where this is the encouragement that's being given. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn back one book. Earlier in this letter, Paul is encouraging Timothy. Verse 14. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Right? Do not neglect. Timothy, these two verses for Timothy are, Timothy, fulfill your call. 
Timothy, be about what God has ordained for you to do. God has had a plan for you, Timothy. God has come to you and saved you, Timothy. And now God is releasing you. You you are a, a spigot of the grace of God through the ministry of preaching and teaching and caring for the flock. Fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Now, how Timothy got to this point is interesting. If you study much about Timothy, uh, it's a challenge, I think, for Timothy to be in this place. To answer this call for Timothy, I don't think was an easy thing. John Stott says, Timothy is no stained glass saint. A halo would not have fitted comfortably on his head. For one thing, he was still comparatively young when Paul wrote him his first letter. Probably by now he was in his 30s. But he was still inexperienced for the heavy responsibilities which were being laid on him. You can imagine you're you're the Apostle Paul's assistant. (laughs) So you are trying to keep up with him constantly. And he is venturing into new category after new category after new category and taking on new challenge and saying, Timothy, hey, Timothy, I got to go. Can you clean this up? <laughs> and he's off to the next thing. And then he's calling for Timothy to come. Timothy, I need you to come here. And can you imagine Timothy's like, oh gosh, what has he gotten into now? <laughs> but this is particularly interesting for, for Timothy, I think, because what scripture reveals about him. He was still inexperienced for the heavy responsibilities which were being laid on him. He was also temperamentally shy. For Paul needed to tell the Corinthians to put him at ease when he visited them. Take it, hey, take it easy on Timothy, okay? When he's coming, he's, you know, it's, it's a little challenge for him to do some of these things, all right? So, so don't blow him out of the water when he shows up. Then, third, he had a recurrent gastric problem. Remember, Paul had told him, you know, take this for your stomach. He had issues, physical health issues. So this is Timothy. Young, shy, and frail. You know, so here's where the advice on how to find your calling can, might get the wheels to come off a little bit. I don't think Timothy was surveying the natural components of his life and going, I just can't wait to be in front of a big audience. <laughs> that he was so eager to put on this public weight of teaching and leading people I'm not sure if his frequent stomach ailments weren't just nervous stomach. You know, just a guy worked himself into an ulcer of, you know, time to trust God with that, which feels like I have two left feet. Oh, I've got to do this again. And he's calling me, wants me to come. I know he's going to leave me there again. You know, I don't know what Timothy's going through as he's thinking through. But, but he is these things. He's young and shy and frail, but he is called. God has called this man. And God's going to use this man. But what, what I want to draw some comfort from today is for Timothy to discover his call. Right, if you can go back with me, we're going to look back in the book of Acts in a second. But, but look back there in Ephesians chapter 4 again. For Timothy to discover his call, it, it's going to take all of Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 16 for Timothy to receive and experience and come in contact with his call. When Paul begins this chapter and he says, hey, church, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've received. And he gives them some specific manners, you know, in humility, with patience, bearing with one another. Timothy's going to need that for him to come in contact with his call. And then Paul begins to say, you know, there's, there's unique giftings in the body. There's apostles and prophets. Timothy's going to need them for him to come in contact with his call. 
And then he starts talking about these Ephesians 4.11 gifts. They build up the body, and then the body functions and answers its call, and then it strengthens the body and does the work of ministry. And it concludes in verse 16, with each part doing its part. So you have this, this healthy range of activity that's taking place in the church. And I want to just show for a minute how God uses that for this one guy named Timothy to receive and to be aware of his call. You, you could say this this way. I wish I had written this in the outline. God was faithfully moving people so that Timothy might be moved by God. It's like all of us, remember, all of us are standing in this isolation chamber trying to figure out, well, what's the, what does God want from my life? You know, what am I called to? And there is this sense that I just keep bumping into noticing there's this wiring inside of me. There's these desires that are inside. You know, how do I go about it? We almost start feeling like the question is too big, can never be solved. But, you know, when you look at Timothy, we walk through his story just for a quick moment. You discover that God was moving in people all around Timothy so that Timothy could be moved by God. So that one day this sense of calling would compel Timothy beyond his own boundaries. But it happens because God was at work apart from Timothy. Because God's people were being shepherded and they were functioning in this this call. All right, let's walk through a couple of individuals here. I'm going to look at Paul. I'm going to look at the church in Lystra where Timothy was from. And I'm going to look at Timothy's mother and grandmother. We're going to do this really quick. Turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, we interrupt Paul on his, and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And they're going to end up in a town called Lystra. And we pick up that story in verse 8 of chapter 14. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. Now remember, this is, this is Timothy's hometown. Timothy is a young, early teens probably, aged guy at this point. Lystra being the size that it was, undoubtedly, Timothy knows this guy. Timothy has seen his lifelong situation. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, seeing what he had faith to be made well. And in a loud voice, Paul says this, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And they started calling them Zeus and Apollo. And so immediately they come in contact with the power of God and they ascribe it to the wrong source. And Paul begins to preach the gospel and clarity to them about who it is that has come and made this possible in the midst of Lystra. And then in verse 19, after Paul has preached to them, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Paul has been ministering in Antioch. He's been in Iconium as well. He's being followed by hostile individuals. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, remember, Timothy is a young teenager watching this. And a statement is being made about the kingdom of God to him. Verse 21. 
when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples that were there, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every city or every, in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And Paul now moves on. This apostle now moves on from Lystra. Approximately five years are going to go by. And Paul is now going to go back and revisit Lystra. In chapter 16, verse 1. Here's what happens. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And suddenly, God's passion and purpose for the church puts crosshairs on top of Timothy's life and says, Timothy, leave where you are and follow this apostle. Now, how did this find Timothy? How did God take this young teenage boy who was beginning to perhaps ask questions about, you know, why do I exist? What's my life about? Where am I going? What's my purpose? And into his life, suddenly is going to come this revelation of a call. Well, you can see one person that God was dealing with that caused Timothy to be the recipient of this revelation. It's the Apostle Paul. See, the Apostle Paul, who tells us about his calling to the Gentile world, was answering the call in his own life. And so he's going from town to town and he's preaching the gospel and miracles are taking place. He's getting stoned, but he's not getting deterred. And later on, if you look back into, you can hold your finger there in chapter 14. I'll just look at this real quick. Second Timothy, Paul brings this up again to Timothy. He tells him, apparently this, this initial visit made quite an impression on Timothy. Because here, here Paul is, 20 years later, at least, and he's bringing it up again. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. You, speaking to Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. Right? Remember all that list of things? I urge you, therefore, brethren, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And he begins to list those things out. A lot of those are right here in this list. So as Paul walked out his calling, it was like a spigot that came into Timothy's life to stir him up about his calling. Verse 11, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Twenty years later, Paul is referencing, Timothy, you knew about all this. This had had an impact on Timothy. The manner of the life of the Apostle Paul, God had used the manner of his life to stir up the calling within Timothy so that one day God could say, Timothy, I want you to leave here and I want you to follow this Apostle into the calling that I have for you. Now, if you go back in, in Acts chapter 14, there's a five-year break here 
Paul comes, visits Lystra. Disciples were made. People come into the kingdom and they begin to follow Christ. He comes back by and he, he appoints elders, leaders in that church. And, and it, it says some great things. He encourages them. He says, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith through many tribulations. Continue in the faith. Well, that's exactly what they did. Five years later, when Paul comes to visit, this is a thriving church. This church in Lystra is doing well. Timothy's faith, which was young, has grown and matured. He was just a teenager. How how did his faith grow and mature? How did Timothy become this individual that Paul was so taken by that now Paul is saying, I want you to accompany me. How did he grow? Well, I think it's because God used the church in Lystra in his life. God used those elders, those young leaders, this young church that's only a few years old. God was using them to grow and preserve and encourage and strengthen Timothy so that one day this realization could come for Timothy that he was called into this specific activity by God. Church members who walk in their calling bring an intrusion of the grace of God into the lives of the church. That's what was happening for young Timothy. But Paul also references the huge influence of his mother and his grandmother. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Second Timothy, chapter one, verse five. Paul says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. This probably is again addressing some of the timidity that he was prone to. But of power and love and self-control. But what gets highlighted here, and it gets highlighted again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Timothy, as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. See, there was going to come a day for Timothy for the, the, the ultimate call to take place in his life and then the individual call to be released in his life. But what's amazing in this story is how God was calling all kinds of other people to prepare for the day that he would call this one. God had called Lois to be a mother to Eunice, Eunice to be a mother to Timothy. And these mothers were answering that call. They were walking in a manner worthy of that call, and they were teaching the scriptures to Timothy from when he was young. So while Timothy's clueless about what he will be one day, God is already at work supplying into his life something that's going to be a a cord for God to pull on in him. I'm going to pull on that in your heart, Timothy. 
and you're going to respond. Where did that come from? Who installed the hook? Faithful mothers. Two faithful mothers. So, you know, I love the fact here. This, this is such a great revelation because I love the fact that what we end up in the story of Timothy's life is not some sense of, oh, the Apostle Paul. Oh, the Apostle Paul. What an incredible man, the Apostle Paul. Timothy, this young assistant to the Apostle Paul. Oh, the Apostle Paul. Yeah, thank God. God used the Apostle Paul. But there was some common Joe in Lystra who became an elder to to young Timothy when the Apostle Paul was gone. So that five years later, Timothy's standing strong. There's a faith in him. He has belief in the character of God. He's going to pursue the kingdom of God so much so that when it's time for that call to be released, Timothy doesn't say, well, I don't know. I'm timid. I'm shy. I don't think I can come with you. I'd rather stay home. No, he's going to embrace the call. And, so, and, and then it wasn't just these elders. It was the people that he lived amongst in Lystra who were going to be faithful to live with Timothy as the body of Christ who were going to activate in him and prompt him and provoke faith in him as they just walked together, living life and doing life together. And before any of those guys showed up, there was two faithful women in his life who had long ago been just being faithful to the simple call God put in their life. Listen, you know, ladies, sometimes, and this is true for dads as well, um, but, you know, the ladies are mentioned here. You know, sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a helpful revelation to realize that you don't know which of your kids is a young Timothy. Now, in one sense, let me say this. They're all young Timothys. They're just going to do different things. They're going to enter into their calling. Timothy got to be written up in the Bible. Timothy things that did things that were ministry-oriented that the Bible recorded and wrote much about. We don't know if Timothy had brothers and sisters and what they went on and did with their lives. But nonetheless, the same God who calls to himself calls individuals to things as well. And we kind of get enamored by trying to figure out what that thing is. Timothy is going to be released into that, but part of the storyline for God to move Timothy was that God had moved others so that Timothy would move when God called him. So as you're trying to wrestle through calling dynamics, can you lay a hold of that? God's, God's moving others so that you can move. God's calling others so that you can be called. And there's this relationship, this link that comes together. Now, I can so relate to Timothy in this area because um, I look back over my life I see God who called and moved others so that I could be called and moved. Right, I'm, I'm, I'm about Timothy's age when I first hear the gospel. I'm a young teenager. And many of you guys would know Frank Loria is a young, unqualified high school teacher. but that didn't stop the call of God see God can do miracles with anything (laughs) he was a heck of a coach with his yo-yo offense and basketball (laughs) but Frank was answering the call 
to evangelize. Remember those admonitions? Timothy, be faithful to the ministry. Do the work of an evangelist. This, this admonition from Paul. Well, God had called somebody and stirred him, and he comes into this school and starts teaching a Bible study, and I'm lost as can be until I go to this Bible study, and all of a sudden, God uses the call in another to call to me. I still remember sitting in bleachers. Listen, I have no memory that God preserved this for me as I'm grateful. I'm at the end of these bleachers. I'm sitting in this Bible study. I don't even know what a Bible study is. I'm not sure I want to stay, so I'm at the end of the bleachers. What's going to go on here? And I'm not, I'm not there. I'm there because there's this girl attending, right? She's there, and she's, that's where she goes for lunch. I'm interested in her. Okay, I'm going to go there too. I'm not going there because I'm looking for God. I, I'm not going there thinking, wow, a Bible study. I have so wanted to know God. I wanted to know that girl. <laughs> so I'm sitting at the edge here, but it's, it's like... 3D wording. God has a plan for your life. I mean, you know, these are not amazing words, but for me, they were amazing words, like I had heard them for the very first time. Why was that? Because in those words, God was calling me. God was calling me. They were just words. They were words I could have missed. What I couldn't have missed was God calling me to himself. And those words stuck to me like Velcro. I walked out of that meeting. I don't know what else was said. I walked out of that meeting in a good way, haunted by those words, like they rang in my head. God has a plan for you. It was, it was personal. It was thought out. It was, it was like there was a purpose in my life. It just captured me. But see, I was, I was not ready for a call not pursuing a call, but God had called. God had already worked in his life to put him in my life so that that call could come to me. You know, years later, I would find my way into this church and I would, I would meet older men who were leading in the body of Christ who were just answering their call. I would, I would meet Peter. I would meet Bill Trebean. Uh, I, I would meet Bill Ray's. And these men were just answering the call of God in their life. And they would begin to relate to me and to begin to encourage me to step out in ways in faith and begin to say, Keith, I think you could do this. I, I think God's given you an ability in this area. And I, I was kind of like young Timothy. I, you know, you are not putting me in front of a group of people. That is not a passion that I have. Not, you know, I'll play a sport amongst others and you know, that's fine, but you are not putting me in front of a bunch of eyeballs. But thankfully, men who were answering the call of God continued to encourage and strengthen so that one day I could say, okay, I'll do that. And then there came a day when they said, hey, how about you do that full time? How about you lay down everything else and you come do that as a pastor? And, and you know, in that day, to step into that realm, by that point, you know, I'm married and my wife is just fulfilling the call. God has called her to be a wife to me. And her faith, her support, her involvement 
is, is going to be what God uses to release me into still with hesitancy. Do I really want to do this? And yet God uses her to strengthen and to help me answer the call that he has. And then God obviously places me in a church. And like the church in Lystra, and for Timothy later on, the church in Ephesus, the faithfulness of the church, the faithfulness to pray for a young pastor, to encourage and support and to be willing to receive from uh, a young pastor and to fan the flame of the gift and to be encouraging, to financially support the church. Just you guys answering the call back in the early 90s, not having any idea what this thing would turn into. Maybe you would have felt differently now that you know where it's gone. <laughs> yeah, you regret the day that you were nice to me that first day, do you? Uh. And here I'm, I, get, I get to have a sense of walking in the wiring that's in me individually, as well as toward God. You see, this, this, is, this is the church. Do you, do you see that? This is how the church functions. It's how the church functions in Timothy's life. It's how the church functions in my life. It's how the church functions in your life. It's how the church will function in your children's lives. doesn't mean everybody's called to do what Timothy did, but, but whatever it is that God has called, God is moving people so that he can move you. God's moving people in the church so that they can move young people that are here and children that are here. That one day God's got a a direction for them to follow and they're going to wrestle through it and there's going to be these people in their lives. There's going to be their mothers and their fathers and it's going to be people who are teaching them in children's church. People who related to them in a covenant group. People who modeled. People who, like Paul, sort of life beat them up and they were stoned to death by life and they got right back up for the glory of God and they lived full of faith. Somebody's going to watch that and go, that, that attracts me. I feel called by that. I want that kind of faith in my life. I want to live for God that way. Well, how did they come across that? Through the church. This place we call the church. This place that God was so passionate about when he said, Peter, shepherd my sheep. He didn't follow it up by saying, because there's, there's Timothys out there, Peter. When the church walks in a manner worthy of the calling that I've given them, those Timothys are going to find their calling, and they're going to answer that calling, and they're going to further that calling into other people's lives, and more and more and more people will be affected. Listen, no one should be in the church casually. You have a calling here. You're here because God has called you. Now, let me, let me close with this thought. Matt, if you would go ahead and come up. This morning, I, I want to I pray for us in the realm of each of us answering the call of God in our lives. Answering the call. Now, what, what may be true for some that are here, and I want to make sure this, this gets featured first, Before the call of God becomes that individual dynamic where there's this unique thing about you that you're supposed to be doing. Listen, that's important, and we want to live in that realm. But can I say that's not most important? That's not what's most important about your life. 
that trying to discover the subjective dynamic of should I go to college, should I do this, should I live here, live there, that's of secondary importance. I think Os Guinness says this very well. Listen, he says, our primary calling as followers of Christ is by him, to him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone. Called to God. First and foremost, we're called to God. Not to something. He lists examples like motherhood or politics or teaching and not to somewhere like the inner city or outer Mongolia. Now, how many of us recognize that sometimes we're tempted to go after the second call and not be too interested in the first one? But the first one is of primary importance. If, if you and I don't return to the caller and he doesn't intrude into our lives, then you and I at best are guessing at what we're called to. Because whatever it is we're wired for individually only can be realized when we return to him, when he's our primary call. So these other things are always the secondary, never the primary calling. They, they are callings rather than the calling. All right, so let me get to callings separate, but let's deal first with God calling us. Let's, let's stand up together and pray and receive something from God. Lord, thank you that there is something called a calling for our lives. Lord, thank you that the strong not to be overlooked implication is if individuals here this morning have a calling in their life, then there must be someone who is the caller. And Lord, before we can figure out what we're to be about, who we're supposed to be, what's unique about us, how you've made our DNA to express something unique, uh, Lord, we must first return to you. And Lord, you would have our first love to be you. Not what we get to do for you, but you. If you're here this morning, just continue just to pray. Let God speak to you. If you're here this morning, And you sense that God is calling to you and your life is not right with God. Maybe you're like I was. You, you've been around religion. You've heard some ideas from the Bible. But to say that you've ever come to God and said, God, you are the reason for my life. I return to you and God, I return my life to you. Here. Here, God. God have my life. You are calling me to you, and you're calling my life to be yours. Have you ever answered that call? Maybe you can, you can live for years and not even being aware that there is such a call. But if you are aware that there is a call, then God's already been at work in you. And if this morning you're here and you're saying, 
yeah, I have felt that way. I felt like I'm, I'm just out of step with God. I, I, like I don't really know him the way I'm supposed to. Well, before we talk about this next issue, that is the biggest issue of your life. Whether you're an auto mechanic, whether you went to medical school, whether you got married and didn't go to college, listen, all those things pale in comparison to the fact that what God is first doing with your life is he's calling you to him. That's what God wanted. When he created you, he desired for a one-on-one unique relationship with you. You are unique, and God desired for that uniqueness to be in relationship with him so that you know why he made you unique. So if you've not returned your life to God, right, it's almost like you, you rented the boat and you've never brought it back. <laughs> it's God's. He's been looking for it. <laughs> he wants it back. If you want to give it back to God, then pray this with me right now. Say, Lord, this morning, I realize that you have been calling me. You want my life. And Lord, this morning, I return to you and I give you my life. I trust you to lead me from this day forward. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe that your death on the cross and your blood being shed forgives me of my sin and restores me to you. I believe that this morning. I believe that you welcome me today. I believe that you have had an intention for my life and your intention has been competing with my intentions. Well, Lord, this morning, I release my intentions and I turn from them to yours. Lord, what do you want for my life to be? All that that is, I want to walk in that. So, Lord, this morning, I give you my life and I put my trust in you. Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, just a moment. I'm going to call some folks forward to receive prayer for them to realize and know and be led by God into their individual calling. But if you're here this morning and you just prayed that prayer and you feel like, okay, that's, this is the day I'm going to remember where I kind of got things right with God. If you, if you did that this morning, can you just wave your hand at me just for a second? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? Okay, in just a moment, when these other guys come up, if you, if you would like someone to pray with you, and I think it might be helpful for you to have somebody pray with you about the decision that you made, if you just come up, just come over here to the left. I'm going to put you all the way over at the end over here so I can send a couple of folks to, to pray for you in just a moment. But here's what I want to also invite you to do. A little while ago, I asked you, how many guys are, are uncertain about the calling of God in your life? And you know, a number of hands went up, and maybe many more wanted to go up. Listen, there, there is a calling of God in your life. There is. And, you know, when I survey the evidence here, it's not a calling that God is hiding from us, although it feels like he is, doesn't it? 
it feels like it's so elusive and so hard to find out exactly how God is calling me. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to come postured a little bit differently to receive. I want you to, to come acknowledging by faith, agreeing with God, that God right now and, and before this moment has already been and is at work. Communicating, calling to others, moving in others so that he might move in you. Do you see that in Timothy's life? It's true. It's true for us too. So if you felt like, oh man, is God ever going to show me what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm so, I just don't know. Can you come by faith and first stand before God and say, God, I see today you have been and you are already at work that I might receive the call you have for me. So before you start believing you can't receive it, let's start there. So, but if you, if you would like prayer for that, just come on forward this morning. We're going to have some folks come and just pray for you that you'll receive some grace from God to hear his voice, to be led by him, to have that moment like Timothy did where, where he knew I'm, I'm being called by God and this is what God is calling me to do. In just a moment, as these guys come, let them, let them come find the place up here. And as you see folks up here, why don't you find something that, that you can connect with and come pray for them. Come by faith and ask God to impart his sense of calling into their life. Lord, thank you. Thank you for dispensing grace into our lives. Lord, thank you for the ways that you are at work on our behalf and where we are often not aware from our childhood, through others, through the one who came and brought us the gospel in the first place. Lord, you have been stirring others and calling them that we might be called by you. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the church. I thank you for how it functions. I thank you that I stand here today because the church functioned in your hands. You found me and called me. And I know that you want to do that over and over again today for other lives. Lord, those who are standing here this morning, Lord, they they are seeking the sense of, God, what's my life about? Lord, how are, how are you calling me? How do you want to move and release me? What do, you, what do you have me to put my hands to and to be full of faith that God is in this with me? It is what he's called me to do with my life. Lord, it can be such a struggle. God, meet us this morning. Lord, meet us and make known to us and encourage these folks who have come. In Jesus' name. You guys just continue to pray and these guys are going to pray with you as you're seeking him.